Thanks, Kayla. Is that Kayla? Yes. Turning your Bible to Genesis chapter 1. We're continuing ecstatically married. So this is ecstatically married part 3. We did what is a man? We did what is a woman? Today we're doing what is marriage? Next week is what is a husband? After that, what is a wife? Genesis chapter 1. Verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now turn the page. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, so now remember we have a retelling that we were told how the Lord created man and woman. Now he's getting into the details saying, here's exactly how it went down. Then the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man. Remember, he formed the man out of the ground as well. So all the beasts and man formed out of the dirt. Uh, This new creature, not going to be formed where all these other critters, including man, have been formed out of. Out of the ground, the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to all the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your creation of marriage, your good idea for a man and woman to be married as a picture, as a reminder of the greater marriage, the primary marriage of Christ and his church. Lord, today as we look at your word, we ask that you would bring revelation, that you would bring fresh joy, that you would bring new desire, that you would bring new hunger for us to walk in your best, to walk in your ideal, because that's what you want for your people, that we would, that we would live the life that is truly abundant, the life that Jesus died to provide, the complete salvation that he gives makes our marriages different. Christians should have different marriages. Our marriages should be a thriving place of wholeness, of love, of safety, where we represent you and your kingdom to the whole wide world. Grow us and strengthen us in these ways today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ecstatically married. That's the target. That's the goal. Are you happily married? Well, yeah, I'm happily married. Well, let's be ecstatically married. One thing I've found, anything when it comes to walking with the Lord, the Lord always has another level. 
So whenever you think you've gotten close to level 10, 1 to 10, you think you start to approach 10, the Lord says, hey, the scale goes to 100. And this is good news. This isn't burdensome of you didn't quite make it yet. This is good news to know there's somewhere else to go. And when you start to approach 100, whatever the level may be of you know, spiritual growth, you think, that's the, you, think you, you think you know where the pinnacle is, and you start to get there, and the Lord goes, hey, good news. I'm more. There is more. I found the same to be true in marriage. There was a time where I would have rated my marriage yeah, 9 out of 10. And then the closer you get, the Lord says, hey, it goes, it goes to 100. That's good news. There's, there's somewhere else to grow. There's other joy. There's other pleasure. There's other richness to experience. Hey, you get to 100. It goes to 1,000. Oh, that's great news. Hey, it goes to a million. It continues to go. The Lord has more. The Lord's not limited. The Lord's not stuck. So I tell you this, first of all, so that you would get your hopes up, so that you would actually have an expectation. For those of you who are married, to have an expectation. For those of you who aren't married, you're still going to hear about God's good design, God's perfect will, God's intention, which we're going to find out where it comes from. Of course, Christ and the church, the greatest marriage, our other marriages are representatives of what he's doing. So this is what we want. We said before, Christians don't always have the best marriages. Christians still have real lives, but we want to make sure that our marriages are healthy. And we don't want this to be a mystery. Most people think that marriage is this mysterious thing. And in the work that I do, I'm very, very good at what I do. I'm an expert at what I do. And I help a lot of people in their marriages. And one thing that is surprising to me, whenever, you're, whenever you have expertise in something, things become simple. Things are clear. You know, the more, the higher you go, the simpler the truths get. Like the, uh, what's the, one of my fam- favorite quotes is, um, any idiot can make something complicated. It takes a genius to make something simple. And the more someone has mastery over something, the more they become a good teacher about it, and the more they can make things plain and simple. But one thing I find all the time, even in Christian marriages, is this mystery and this confusion around, like, how do we really make this thing good? How do we really make this thing strong? It's just like some days it's there and some days it's not. But it's like lightning in a bottle. I don't quite know how we can recapture this thing and actually make this thing happen. The short answer, of course, is obey God's word. Okay, thanks, JM. All right, but how do we get more precise with that? How do we get more specific with that? Well, welcome to our series. It's called Ecstatically Married. That's the point. We're walking through fundamentally what is a man? What is a woman? What is marriage? And then we're going to get even more precise finally next week. What's a husband? What's a wife? And we're going to start to get more into the details. But it doesn't have to be super complicated because, frankly, it's not super complicated. What is super complicated is often our interpretation of the plainly written text. And we go, I'm not quite comfortable with that. And then we begin to make our modifications. And then we fail at our modifications. And we go, marriage is so complicated. No, it's not. You actually took a few steps away from the center target. If you come back to that thing, things get sweet and they happen faster than you think. Here's the other good news that most people don't know about marriage. It does not take two to tango. I don't know how to tango. If I did, I'd give you a little sampling. So, but I don't. I don't know how to tango. But here's what I mean by that. It does take two to tango, doesn't it? Here's my point. You could argue, I guess, a tango dancer would say it definitely does. My point is this. If you learn how to tango really well all by yourself, the target, the goal, the motive is that your spouse will start to go, they look like they're having a good time. I think I'd like to join them in that. And this is significant. Whenever a man does this, he has incredible influence to, to cause his wife to respond. Yeah. The same is true. Whenever a wife does this, she has incredible influence to cause her husband to respond. It looks different. It looks like a husband doing it, and it looks like a wife doing it. They don't have the same part. Dance In dancing, you do not have the same part. There is a leader, and there is a follower. 
That's the way dancing works. That's the way marriage works. But there's a masculine way to initiate. I do it all the time. I work with men all the time. I tell them stories. They come on board. They pay me thousands of dollars knowing good and well that when they start working with me, our motive is not to change your wife. And I, have, and I emphasize that with them. I say, hey, our, our mission here is not to change your wife. We're going to focus on you exclusively, and we're going to walk by faith and trust and expect that your wife will respond because the feminine will respond to the masculine. That's part of God's good design. I tell them, in truth, the feminine is already responding to the masculine, for better or worse. We're just going to make sure it's for better. But honestly, if I was coaching women, I wouldn't do anything differently. I mean, I would co- the coaching would be different, but the principle would be the same. I'd say, sister, you can this. She'd say, yeah, but you don't know my husband. I'd say, I know he's a man. I know he's a human being. And I know that we're going to make sure we get the log out of your eye. And then we can see clearly, perhaps, to help and assist him. This is the only path forward. And this is good news. And this is real. And I've seen marriage after marriage after marriage restored. Even where a wife was totally disinterested or even, or even resistant I've seen this happen. I've worked with like 150 some guys at this point, multiple times where a wife is deliberately resistant to his efforts and changes. But you know what? A person has a hard time resisting the greatest person that they've ever known. So that's the challenge I give to men. I say, let's become the greatest man that your wife and kids have ever known. My wife this, my wife that, my wife this. But do you think that if you're the greatest man she's ever known, do you think you would get the same degree of pushback? Yeah, okay then that would be a rare and bizarre exception. Is it possible? I suppose it is, but I haven't come across that yet. It, that would be a, a rare and bizarre exception. So this is good news to a husband. It's good news to a wife. You learn to tango. You learn your role. You learn your part and embrace it fully. But oftentimes we don't. Oftentimes we look and say, what are they supposed to do? Or the other thing that happens in Christian culture, we're struggling. We need to go to counseling counseling's like the, that's the fix. Like, that's all we know. I'm not mad at anybody. I'm just saying that's all Christian culture knows. We can talk to pastor a little bit. Pastor's going to tell us to go to counseling because, of course, it takes two to tango, right? And we, we go to counseling. And now we start the counseling merry-go-round. And the counselor just every week just flicks that thing one more time. And he keeps on flicking it. And he keeps on flicking it. And he keeps on flicking it. This can happen. There's good counseling and there's bad counseling. How do you know the difference? Well, is anything actually happening? Are people being held accountable for their own actions? Or do we both walk out of there and go, did you hear what they told you? Did you hear what they told you? This is why I love the work that I do and the way I work with men because it's irrelevant. Well, she this, she that. Okay, bro, what are we going to do about it? What am I supposed to do about it? That's a fair question. That's where we can get to work. But But we're not going to outsource our power any longer and go, I'm a victim. What could I possibly do? And I would say the same thing to a wife. Oh, look at him. Look at Yep, that's wrong. That's sinful. That's unacceptable. And now what will you do about it? Well, I don't know what to do. Would you like some help? Yes, I would. Now we've got a place to begin. But we've got to get our eyes in the mirror instead of on somebody else. All that was free as well. None of that was, none of that was in the notes. Christians can and should be ecstatically married. You can get there. It's the Lord's will. The Lord created marriage. It is a place for rich blessing. God said, it's not good for man to be alone. That's what we just read. Even God himself was never alone. Our triune God was eternally the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who said, let us make man in our image. Who is us? Who is this God saying us? It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit saying, let us make man in our own image. And we know it's not good for man to be alone. You might think, well, he wasn't alone. He had all the animals, but they weren't sufficient. 
They weren't what he needed. You ever see the movie Castaway? Remember Tom Hanks? Man, it's not. It's so bad for man to be alone that man will like personify a volleyball and make that his friend. And then as Wilson is floating away, you see Tom Hanks' character. He's like, the, that's the only time music shows up in the movie. There's been no music in that film until Wilson starts floating away and your guts are ripped out. And he's like, he's questioning whether or not he should leave the raft in the middle of the ocean to go save his volleyball. You know, Wilson. Why? Because it's not good for man to be alone. But Wilson was not enough. Our pets are not enough. And now artificial intelligence will not be enough. But just like it's never been enough, nothing before marriage can be very good. God called marriage very good. He called the creation of Eve very good. And by the way, he didn't just make man and woman and go, hey, you guys see what happens. Maybe you all get to know each other. No, he created Eve and marriage was the assumption from the very first moment. It was marriage. It wasn't man and woman. Hey, guys. I'd like to introduce you. Why don't y'all go have dinner? See where this thing goes. No, God says you are getting married. You are married. I just married you. This is your wife. This is your husband. So that was part of the Lord's design. Immediately, that's what he did. Immediately, that's what he made happen. So he calls it very good. And this is the gift that he calls marriage. So God loved man and God walked with man. But God knew that it would be very good to bring man one who is like him but not him exactly. Man didn't need a best friend. I'll say that one again. I'm going to offend everybody today. Man didn't need a best friend. He needed a wife. The role of best friend would be a demotion for a wife in covenant marriage with her husband. Natalie is my favorite person in the world. I love her more. I like her more. I respect her more than any other human in the world. And yet I still need friendship with men. But God gives us marriage as a lifelong faithful covenant between a man and woman. Could there be some overlap in some of those spheres? Is there some friendship there? I'm sure we could argue for that. But I'm not going to demote her to say, Natalie's my best friend. I'm not demoting Natalie. No, Natalie's my wife. My best friend is under that. Uh, Natalie is the, the highest place that anyone could ever have in my life, that a human being could have in my life. What else do we see about marriage? God designed dependence upon one another in marriage. Similar to how the church is dependent upon one another, how we are supposed to need each other. I'm not the hand. You're not the foot. You're the ear. You're the mouth. We need each other. All these different pieces come together. Marriage does the same thing. By design, marriage between a husband and wife carries that same idea. We complement one another and we fill in where the other lacks. And you do lack. You do. And that's okay. It's okay. It's by design. It's not a flaw. It's a feature. Marriage is the first and fundamental building block given by God to bless mankind and to bless civilization. Marriage is a bedrock in society. It's not a man-made idea. It is the bedrock of, all, of everything. It's the very first institution that the Lord established. Remember, we have three institutions of authority that the Lord has established. The household, the church, and what we would call the civil magistrate, or you could call the government. Technically, all these are governments, but we'll just say the household or the family, uh, the church, and the government. These are all lesser authorities. They all report to King Jesus. I don't think they do. They should is the point. Every law that's put on the books should be something that pleases the Lord Jesus Christ. Not, not the, Our constitution, our declaration of independence, all those things are, well, our document says this, our country, no, no, every nation on earth belongs to the Lord Jesus. There's not one area in the whole universe that he doesn't point to and say, that's mine. That's mine, and she's mine, and he's mine. Everything's mine. Everything belongs to the Lord Jesus. 
So the same is true for households. Households are to serve and point to the Lord Jesus. The church, of course, is the guardian and the keeper and the pillar of truth in the earth. And, but the civil governments are also supposed to point to the Lord Jesus Christ in the work that they do. But everybody has a specific and distinct role. Household, of course, is for welfare, well-being, love, nurturing, raising of children, the establishment of marriage. The church is for the preaching, the proclamation of the truth of God. And then the civil governments are for punishing evildoers and rewarding the righteous. And we can bring some order and some, civil, and some, some structure to civilization. But, and, there's, and there's some overlap between these three spheres. But all these lesser authorities should right here, right now, be submitting to the will of God and the word of God. But marriage, we see, is the fundamental building block. I'll give another quick aside here, a quick freebie. Uh, whenever we're thinking about these lesser authorities, nobody has the authority to change what God has said. God has delegated authority to them, right? So an employer, an employer, your employer or my employer, they give us a delegated authority. Hey, you have some authority in this job to go do this, that, and the other. You can make these decisions. You can do these things. I need you to handle this part of this job for me. And yet we don't have the authority and the power to change and to go beyond what they've said. So the, 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 the top authority has said, hey, here's what marriage is. Marriage is a man and a woman entering into a covenant together, a lifelong covenant to one another. These lesser authorities have not been given authority by that authority to change what he said marriage is. So there is absolutely no such thing as any other kind of marriage other than a lifelong commitment between a man and a woman. Because that's what God established it as. What are you saying? I'm explicitly saying there is no such thing as gay marriage. It's an oxymoron. Well, but didn't this government say that they could? Yes, they did. And they could say that the sky is green if they'd like to, but it won't make it true and it won't make it authoritative. In the law of the land, can people go get married? Well, they can pretend to. They can go through the facade. They can go through actions and they can mimic things. But God doesn't consider that marriage. It's not. So it's just a simple truth. There's no such thing as gay marriage. And, of course, we're not going to honor it as such. There's sin and, and there's righteousness. But um, nobody's allowed to just make up things and oppose what the Lord has already set into place. So what are some of the purposes of marriage? There's multiple purposes in marriages. Right away, we see what was Adam lacking in? Adam could not multiply. He's supposed to go multiply, but Adam can't multiply. He's unable to do that on his own. So multiplication and procreation for God's dominion to be established on the earth is one of the primary motivators in marriage right away. God wants to rule every square inch of the earth. How do you do that? Well, you have children. You have children and, and you send them out and they go and this is how we're to fill the earth. It wasn't just Adam and Eve walking and putting flags down everywhere going, we've been here, we've been here. Well, we're going to have children and they're going to have children and they're going to have children. And this is one way that we're going to expand God's will and his dominion. This is still a way that we expand God's will and his dominion on the earth. So when you raise children to love and follow the Lord, if they move to Timbuktu, well, now Jesus is taking ground in Timbuktu. Of course, I'm sure he's already got his saints in Timbuktu. But wherever we go, we say, this, this is for the Lord now. This is a, an embassy for the kingdom of heaven. And we're going to continue to establish these outposts to continually bring the will of God and expand. What else? What's another purpose in marriage? Well, the, the, one of the purposes is to have a helper. Of course, Eve helps Adam, but Adam also helps Eve. It's not his design and his role, his essence, even her essence, we said, is helper. Adam, though, also can help, and Adam does help, like we were talking about how we complement one another. You're not complete on your own, so we do that for one another. What else? Well, sanctification. All married people know that your sanctification will, you will grow in holiness. <laughs> Hopefully, you'll grow in holiness as you're living with somebody who puts the toilet paper on the wrong way. 
By the way, the right way is over the top. Over the top. Can we agree on that? We don't have to have any church discipline here today. Off the top. Like a waterfall. So sanctification, purifying one another, making one another more mature and more holy. Why? Because we're going to live forever. You're married to somebody who's going to exist forever. Marriage is a significant thing. And you are, you are participating in the stewardship of this person's soul. You're participating in the stewardship of this person as they're going to be presented to the Lord. No, and no, I don't think you're going to present your spouse. I don't even think a husband is technically going to do that. I use that analogy sometimes. But no, I don't think I'm going to present Natalie to the Lord and go, here she is back. And yet, there is a sense where I do take that to, to account. And I think a wife should as well to go, I participated in that. I participated in his holiness and in his maturity. And, and how did I help him? How did I propel him closer to the Lord? And a husband should be asking, how am I propelling her closer to the Lord? Because the Lord is the point. The Lord is the greatest purpose. So we are wanting to mature one another, see one another be more holy as we walk with the Lord. Another blessing of marriage, another purpose of marriage is to fulfill sexual desire. This is a good and beautiful thing. We're going to do a whole message on that. Another purpose in design of marriage is, of course, it is a picture of Christ in the church. For all the details we could talk about between a husband and a wife, we're still talking about something that's under the umbrella of another marriage. These marriages, as good as they are intended to be, and we're making a big deal about them as, as we should, they are still temporary, and they, only, and they point to the greater marriage between Christ and the church. So those are some of our different purposes. Now turn in your Bible to Malachi chapter 2. We're going to explain a little bit more about what marriage is. The idea of covenant, the idea of contract. In Malachi, so um, in your Bible, the New Testament starts in the book of Matthew. So you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You've just started the New Testament with those four Gospels. You come back one book right in front of Matthew and you're in Malachi. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. Page 1389, if you have my Bible. So Malachi chapter 2. The Lord is is rebuking right here. If you have a header above chapter 2, it says the Lord rebukes the priests. And then I have another header. It says Judah profaned the covenant. But we're going to go to chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. The Lord is just bringing the smack down and bringing a lot of correction to a lot of sin here. And he's furious about it. And he says in verse 13, And this is the second thing that you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. So he's saying, you come to the altar and you pray, God, why don't you receive our offering? Why don't you hear our prayers? He says, but you say, why does he not? So they're whining, they're crying because they know that they've lost the favor of the Lord. They know they've lost his blessing. They know they've lost his hand of protection. And he's bringing rebuke. Why? Why, Lord? Why won't you hear me when I pray? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. So God is bringing rebuke here about 
God is bringing rebuke and he's pointing out the fact that they have violated their covenant. He's calling marriage a covenant. So the idea of covenant is the idea that it's, it's different from contract and yet it includes contract. A lot of times uh, we, we teach this out as we say contract is bad and covenant is good. And in truth, covenant includes contract. We see where the Lord is faithful no matter what. And at the same time, we see where there are criteria where the Lord says, if this, then this. That's contractual language. If you don't do this, then I won't do that. He does that to the people of Israel. He does that to the church. So we see both, but it's not limited there. It's not limited there. His faithfulness and his love go beyond that into covenant, into my guaranteed participation no matter what. Here is what I will always do. Here is who I will always be. So this covenant is established by God. It includes contract, but it's greater than contract. Now, of course, the modern view of marriage is exclusively contract. The modern view of marriage is exclusively, this is a tool to make me happy. You primarily are the tool to make me happy. You're the one that, as long as you serve me, because I am God, I am God. And especially where we live in the United States, the individual is the peak. The individual's desires, the individual's will. There's nothing more sovereign than the desire of an individual to the point where it goes to absurdities, to the point where an individual can say bizarre and strange things about their identity. And the rest of us go, right, that's, that's true. Insane people do those things. Sinful people do those things. Honest, loving people don't do those things to people. We love them, we pray for them, and we tell them the truth. But in a world where self is God, marriage becomes a tool to just serve self, which is why marriage fails so frequently, which is why the divorce rate is somewhere around 50%. 50%. So when people don't, or don't feel like they're served well in marriage anymore, they disregard it. And they go, hey, you know what? It, this isn't working for us anymore. And for whatever reason, one of these spheres of government, one who had nothing to do with the formation of this covenant, now suddenly steps in to dissolve the covenant. One who had no participation in making it happen is now going, we have the authority to end it. And we'll call it no fault. Nobody's fault. That's not true. It's probably everybody's fault. It's very likely everybody's fault. But we just want to go, uh, we just want to end this thing. We just want to make this simple. So we say things like we fell out of love or I don't think we were soulmates or we were just too young, etc., etc., etc. Fill in the blank with the lies of a hard-hearted person that they have told themselves. This is common. So modern marriage with this view where you're, you're just here to serve me. You're just here to make me happy. That's quite different from marriage vows. It's quite different from what the covenant, how the covenant actually began. But modern marriage leads generally to divorce. But covenant, biblical marriage, leads to Christ. It leads to God's presence. It leads to rich blessing. It leads to holiness. It leads to pleasure. It leads to fulfillment. It leads to satisfaction. And it leads to joy. Now, this isn't the same thing as always feeling happy at every waking moment. And this isn't the same thing as getting your identity and your value from your husband or your wife. But these blessings are what the Lord gives to obedient children. So we should understand covenant better when we consider those marriage vows. Remember the vows. To have and to hold from this day forward for better or for worse. For richer or for poorer in sickness and in health. I promise to love and cherish you. We're actually saying out loud on the wedding day, this could go badly for me. And I'm all in. This could go poorly. And I'm committing to this. Why on earth would you do that? Why? Why, why, why? Well, because it's not good for man to be alone. 
and it's good to glorify God. And even non-believers see value in marriage. Yes. Even non-believers get married. Still to this point. And we, and we commend that. We want that. We say, yes, marry. Why? Because it was God's idea. It's the fundamental building block of society. So we, we want non-believers to get married. And we say, praise the Lord for it. Because that covenant, that commitment, it is a holiness. It is a protection. It is a blessing to society. And it is a blessing to people. It is a way that God's kingdom can be established more fully. And these are the blessings that can be enjoyed in a marriage. So when we say this could go badly for me, and we're saying I'm all in anyway, this is exactly what Jesus has said, and this is exactly what he's done for us. This is exactly what God said when he created mankind. He knew that. The Bible says Jesus was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. God knew this is going to go badly for me. I know what people are going to do. I know that I'm going to give my life to die on the cross. Thousands of years after this, I know they're going to break my heart. I know I'm going to be sorry that I ever made man. What? (laughs) He's got that kind of foreknowledge, the beginning from the end. I know I'll be sorry that I made them, and yet I'm going to make them. Why? Because of the love that I have for them. This is why two people would stand across from an altar and say, no matter what. Why? Because I love you. And even if it breaks my heart, and even if you break my heart, I'm committed. Even though it's going to be uncomfortable at times, I'm committed because I love you. Why? Why? Where does this love come from? Is that just an emotion? Thank God it's not. It's a choice. And it's the choice that the Lord made because he loved us so much. So Jesus... When answering whether or not people could get divorced, the Pharisees were asking him, hey, how would this work? How would that work? Jesus put it this way. What God has joined together, let no man tear apart. Let no man separate. So back to the point I was making earlier. It's interesting. The judge gives a divorce for a covenant that the judge did not create. So the legal system gets involved and goes, hey, we didn't have anything to do with this. We put a stamp on it at, at the end after you, know, you, you exchange vows, and now we'll break this thing up. But this is a divine covenant. This is why God was so angry with them for divorce. This is why the scripture says God hates divorce. It's a divine covenant. God formed and God blessed the covenant. Therefore, only God can break the covenant. God has the authority to break the covenant. And he has given criteria for which he can do so. Adultery, desertion, we're not going to go super deep into divorce right now. But the point is, what we're doing is we're making much of covenant. We're making much of marriage to say that I, I can't significantly enter into it and then insignificantly walk away from it. And go, well, you know, it's just things are crazy. and just what are, you, what are you saying? What do you mean? Well, we're divorced now. Says who? Well, the judge. I didn't know that. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't recognize that the local governments had authority in marriage. I didn't know that. I thought they were to punish the evildoer and to reward the righteous. Well, they, they acknowledged our marriage. Good, they should reward the righteous and give them tax breaks. That's a good thing. That, that, we could see that being in their sphere and in their function, but not severing covenant because two people said, you know what, we're not really happy anymore, so we'll divide the real estate, we'll divide the bank accounts, and can you do that for us? Yeah, we can do that for you. Who gave you the authority? Where did that come from? So God, God has the means to do this. Why? Because he takes it very seriously. God brought Adam and Eve together. God brings men and women together still to this day. Marriage is sacred to God, and it needs to be sacred to us. Every part of it is a gift. Even the vulnerability involved is a gift. Flawed people loving one another and committing to love one another is a beautiful thing. Being fully known and being fully loved at the same time, it doesn't get any better than that. Of course, that's what we have with the Lord. We're fully known. That's scary but you're fully loved. 
This is what marriage is supposed to show as well. Hey, I fully know you. There's a vulnerability here. There's an exposure here. And I'm going to fully love you. I've seen it all. I've heard it all. I've been witness to it all. And I'm still choosing you and I'm still loving you. Whoo, what a gift. What a security. What a blessing. What a joy. What's it point to? What points to Christ? It's a reminder. Because this will end. When one of us dies, then then this thing's over with. It's not insignificant. It's still significant, but it points to the greater one who loved us, who knows us fully and loves us anyway. That's heaven on earth. Being fully known and fully loved, that's heaven on earth. That's glorious, that's rich, and that is beautiful. That is a deep source of joy, comfort, security, love, pleasure, and purpose. All of it's wrapped up there. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. I've got to hurry up. Ephesians 5, verse 22 through 33 is where we'll go. Wives, so a whole passage here on marriage. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, Just as Christ does the church. See what he's doing? Back and forth. Husbands and wives, Christ in the church. Husbands and wives, Christ in the church. Marriage, marriage, marriage. The Lord did this on purpose. Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. What's he doing? He's quoting Genesis. A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you Love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And he says it well here where it almost seems like Paul, even under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he almost gives up. He's like, this mystery is profound. I can't, I can't fully unpack this thing, but just know that it's rich. Just know that it's good. Just know that there's a lot here. Christ is the husband and we are the bride. Guys, I know we're not necessarily super comfortable with that, right? But if women have to be the sons of God, then we have to be the bride of Christ. Like, it's all fair. It's all fair in Scripture. So um, as the bride of Christ, yeah, we don't like... <laughs> I've seen this hilarious meme. It's like me, whenever I, when, whenever I hear someone say the bride of Christ, it's this guy with a big beard and he's wearing this dress. And he's, he, he's not super happy about it. So thankfully, guys, there's no dresses for us to wear. But the point is the entire church is the bride of Christ. It's his treasure that he presents to himself. And he wants a beautiful bride without spot, without wrinkle. He's saying, I want my church to be attractive. How does the church become attractive? Walking in holiness to the Lord and pleasing the Lord. This is God's will. So this is pointing to what he wants. This is what he's accomplishing. That's the marriage that lasts forever. Our our marriages are the pictures of the greater one. So what came first? The chicken or the egg? Let's make sure we don't confuse this. We don't go, oh, we're married to our spouses. Oh, and it's kind of like that. No, 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 not at all. Actually, the chicken that came first is the Lord and his marriage to the church. And the eggs that happen after that are the marriages on earth 
that took place. So the marriage of the Lamb of God is the chicken. Our marriages are the eggs. Even though it seems like marriage between humans came first because it's in the garden, God was pointing to his greater glory, to his bigger plan, and to his ultimate marriage to his people. But he started with a family in Scripture. Interestingly enough, he's going to end everything with a family. It all starts with a wedding. It all is going to end with a wedding. And it's never going to end. It's going to be the beginning of forever when the Lord brings us to him and he comes to us and we walk together with him in his very presence. It started with a marriage and it's going to end with a marriage. So we'll turn to Revelation now, chapter 19. Last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Revelation 19, 1 through 8. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read where, what John is quoting of what's actually going to be said in heaven. What we're about to read hasn't happened yet. Most of the time what we're reading in Scripture has already taken place. Um, but when we're coming here and for, for this particular prophecy, this has not taken place yet. So John's saying, After this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And I'm skipping ahead again to what was continually said. Praise our God, all, his, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So this is what we see is going to come. This is where we rejoice. This is where Jesus has separated the, the sheep from the goats. Or in this case, he literally says his bride from the prostitute. That's kind of black and white thinking. I'm not super comfortable with that. Well, Jesus sure is. And that's how he defines things. He says, you're either my bride or you're the prostitute. You're the, you're the faithful one or I won't use any other language. But you get the idea. This is, these were the options. That, and this is how he, seriously he, he considers his marriage. You're either married to, you're either for me or you're against me. You've either been faithful to me or you've been unfaithful to me. Jesus accomplished all this, so he's worthy of all this honor, and he has a standard that he sets for himself. This is why we should have standards in our marriages as well. We have expectations. We have standards. We give covenantally. We give joyfully, but we also have standards and expectations. So we see Jesus doesn't just say, and everybody gets to be my bride. No, everybody doesn't get to be my wife either. No, there's standards. There's expectations for Natalie. Natalie has standards and expectations for me. Everybody doesn't get to be my wife. Everybody doesn't get to be her husband. To say yes to someone is to say no to someone else. So Jesus wants to say yes to the whole world. He says, here's how to be my bride. Here's what marriage looks like. We see that we come from Christ's side in the same way that Adam's wife came from his side. And again, another picture was given to us there in the garden. The wound that was given in Adam's side, woman emerges from it. Where the wound was given in Christ's side, there on the cross, his bride emerges. It's at his expense, and it's because of his great love for us. 
God has been showing us marriage from the beginning, and he's going to be showing us marriage to the very end. God holds marriage in high esteem. Let no one disregard marriage. Let everyone hold marriage in high esteem. Let the marriage bed itself remain undefiled, the scripture tells us. We have much to rejoice in. We have much to be proud of for what the Lord has done. So do not ever consider marriage as a social construct. Don't ever consider the nonsensical lies that get told about this. God's design, God's purpose, and you can have God's best in it. I'm going to continue to tell you, and I haven't made this explicitly plain yet, but I want you to know as your pastor, it's my desire to help you in your marriages. On top of that, I'm also good at it. So, you know, if I was preaching on something that was relevant that I had a particularly good skill set in, you would want to take advantage of that. And in the same way, when it comes to your marriages, don't think, should we, could we? First of all, you can always talk to me about everything regarding your spiritual life, regarding your growth, regarding your struggles, whatever it may be. I may have wisdom there. I may have expertise there. I may not. But when it comes to marriage, when it comes to household, I'm telling you in particular, use me. I am, I am a gift for you. You're the point. You're the one who's supposed to benefit. You're the one who's supposed to receive. You're the one who's supposed to be blessed. And it's my pleasure to serve you in that way. So however I can do that, if you don't have my cell phone, get it. But anything I can do to be a blessing to you and your household, I want to do so. And I want to be a blessing to your marriage. So that's why we're doing this, and we're going to continue to be blessed. I'm excited about the rest of the series. We started off kind of general. We're going to keep getting more specific. And as a reminder, uh, we still want to figure out a way to do questions, Adam. Yes. So if you and me can talk about that tomorrow night. So we'll solve that and get into a way that everybody can start sending questions in. Because we're going to end the whole thing with a, a big night where we do Q&A and that kind of thing. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. And we thank you for the, the, the solidity of it. We thank you for the truth of it. We're not floundering. God, it's so good not to be lost. It's so good not to be wandering in our ideas like the world is, thinking that definitions can be changed, thinking that things can be modified. Ancient boundary stones should not be moved. And God, these are the boundary stones that you've put in place. So we're happy to know that our Father has good boundaries. We're happy to know that our Father has good standards and that it was all for our blessing. It was for our joy. It was for our flourishing. And it was for your glory. Lord, we look forward to the eternal kingdom where you have received your full reward of your church and your bride. And God, we're thankful for the marriages that we have, that we get to embrace now. Help us to honor marriage, whether we're already married or whether we're a single person. God, we still hold marriage in high regard. And we still want to see things the way you see them. I ask that you would bring healing, bring restoration, bring revelation to all of our hearts, to the married and to the single, wherever it's needed, wherever there's struggles. I plead the blood of Jesus over your people. God, I ask that you would continually set us apart and make us look different. Help us as husbands to live as godly husbands. Help us as wives to live as godly wives. Help us to shepherd and, and guide our children in your perfect will. And make the households of Salt Church a place where you smell a sweet aroma and a sweet fragrance coming up to heaven that pleases you. In Jesus' name, we thank you. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine down upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you great peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.